Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. If you came in since the beginning of service and you knew, my name's Trevor. So glad that you're here. I'm one of the pastors here at COH. Uh, what you just saw was uh, Craig and Walter sharing their story about something that we try to do every single summer. During the summer, most of our small groups take a pause, and uh, we let everyone go on vacations, do whatever we launch all of our groups back again in the fall, but we always try to provide a space for people to engage in community, engage in discussion, and be able to talk about the Bible together during the summer. We usually call them our summer discussion series. And so this year, we're doing uh, one that's called Who Needs God?, as you just saw there in the graphic, who needs God? Now, the great thing about Craig and Walter is uh, Craig, uh, Craig Claston has to be one of the best people in our church at sharing his faith. He doesn't, you know, throw it in somebody's face at work, and he doesn't pick it with huge signs. He just befriends people, invites them. They see the hope of Jesus in him. They like, there's something different about you. Can you tell me what it is? He tells them that it's Jesus. They end up coming to our church and I'm getting saved. Can you guys leave the picture back up there for who needs God? So um, it's just a fantastic thing. So, uh, And Walter actually came to faith in Jesus at one of our summer discussion series. As you heard him tell a story, Walter's a little bit rough around the edges. <laughs> and um, I just love the guy. And now Walter is all in on Jesus, has been for a couple of years. I remember uh, he, before he became a partner of our church, he had questions about faith. He and I and his wife Gabby, we went to Sonny's. And let me tell you, if you don't think Sonny's is a spiritual place, you have not eaten enough good food. And man, we just chowed down on some good barbecue, and I answered some questions for him. And all the work that Craig had done in the summer discussion series and that one conversation with us, he's, I'm all in on this Jesus guy. He gave his life to Christ. He's been following him for years now. Walter got COVID in November and went into a medical coma. For, and it was scary. And uh, he credits his faith. He credits the prayers of our church pulling him out. Walter was in church last weekend at the West Campus. Isn't that great? Praise God. And so here's the deal. The new summer discussion series, we're talking Who Needs God? It's a wonderful series uh, that's a, 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 a uh, a series of videos from Pastor Andy Stanley and where it's talking about real life questions about God. It's made, really meant for people who are unsure about God, people who consider themselves agnostic or even atheistic. It's not a in-your-face type of thing, but it's an awesome, awesome discussion series. So it's built for, not for church people. It's built for people who have honest, real intellectual questions about faith. It's fantastic. So this doesn't start till the end of June. We're telling you now so that you have time to invite neighbors, invite friends, invite family, invite coworkers over the next six weeks um, if they would want to come and join you for one of these nights that we're hosting at our West Campus and our East Campus. So that's going to be a great thing. So pray about it. Invite people. Come to Who Needs God. Okay? Great. Great. Now, uh, with the people who are going to be hosting that here at the East Campus... Is going to be Pastor Ephraim from COH Espanol and our soon-to-be campus pastor for the East Campus, Jose. Where's Jose at? Did he go to the bathroom? He went to the bathroom. Hey, let's honor Jose while he's not here, right? Yeah. And uh, so Jose will be installed here as the campus pastor at the East Campus here within the next uh, several weeks. So we're excited about that, and that's going to be a fantastic thing. So make sure you come to 
who needs God. All right, um, so let's go ahead and jump into our message for today. If you haven't yet, take out your, uh, your COH app. You can open up your notes on that. Maybe open up a Bible app on your phone or notes or Evernote or I don't know, however you take notes on your phone or your journal, whatever. Go ahead and open up your notes. We're going to take some notes. We're going to jump right on in. Um, I can't go any further. I'm totally having it. I have to say something moment. Um, Gloria, thank you. The whole team, Verona and Jose and everybody and, you know, Dave and Marissa, everybody in the team, thank you. Gloria, you're one of the matriarchs of worship in this church and we honor you and we thank you. Love you. Love you, my friend. Okay, so we are in a series called Mistaken Identity. Everyone say that. Mistaken Identity. We're talking about these false perceptions that people have about God. I've said for the past several weeks that some of these false perceptions that we have about God sometimes come to us intellectually, or maybe somebody literally told us the wrong idea about God. One of the worst things that you could do is to Google something about Jesus and just trust whatever the internet tells you. Kind of like, I have a stuffy nose. Man, I should Google my symptoms. Oh my gosh, I have the, I have leprosy, you know, or you know, whatever. Don't do that. Don't do that. So sometimes it's intellectual, but most of the time it's life. Life and the circumstances and the things that happen in life, because life is what I say is a full contact sport, and life rubs off on us some things that distort our view of God. They break our heart. They damage us. They damage our love receptors, and somehow we project that onto God, and we believe God is somebody that he actually is not. Sometimes when we're doing this type of thing, um, it's overt, like, oh, well, I think this, and the Bible says that. Oh, I did not. Sometimes you find out you have a mistaken identity that you didn't know you believed about God. Several years ago, um, I was in college at Florida State, and I went to a worship concert by um, a worship leader named Jason Upton. Anybody heard of Jason Upton? Yeah, a couple people. Yeah, um, he's not for everybody. He's totally different. You're not going to listen to him on the Christian radio station, Okay. Um, but he's a, just a very spirit-filled guy, wonderful worship leader. Went to a worship concert for Jason Upton. He has this song where it's his rendition of Psalm 23, one of the most famous psalms, like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, that type of thing. Well, at the end of Psalm 23, he's singing his own version of King David's words. And the song goes like this, And surely goodness and mercy will cover me. All the days of my life, they will cover me. And he just sings it over and over and over again. It's this beautiful song. And I remember sitting there in the worship concert, listening to him and probably two, 3,000 people sing this song, these ancient words to the Lord, such a beautiful affirmation of the love of God. Tears welled up in my eyes because I realized I couldn't sing those words. I realized I couldn't sing them because I didn't believe them. You ever had that experience before? Maybe even when we're singing in here about all these wonderful things we're singing about God. Like I was thinking about, uh, you know, David who did a great job leading this morning saying, hell lost another one, I am free, I am free. Hell lost another one, I am free, I am free. Did any of you not believe that when you sang it? There's no shame in not. It's just sometimes we have a realization of, I think I don't actually believe that yet. And did make me resent the song of surely your goodness and mercy will cover me. If you ask me, is that true or is that false? I'd say that's true as long as the day is. But I couldn't believe it yet. And so later that week, I wrote in my journal at home. I said, I don't understand God's grace 
I don't understand God's mercy, and I think I don't understand his love. Which is weird, because I had been a Christian for 10 years at that point. I remember, last time I was here, I said, I became a follower of Jesus because I wanted it. I wanted the presence of God, and I got it. I just didn't understand that that God who had a wonderful presence also had love for me, and I couldn't accept it yet. And so I wrote, I don't understand this, but I so want to. And honestly, that began a journey of me where God took his time over a two-year period of time to teach me about his love and about his grace, where I not only affirmed it with my mind, but the information made the journey, the 10-inch journey from my head, down into my heart. And he healed a mistaken identity I had about him. And that's what I'm praying God does today, where he maybe begins a journey for some of you. You know how we heal these mistaken identities about God? We look at Jesus. And Jesus is exactly who God is. When we look at him, we find out what God is like. So, our theme verse we've been reading all along in this series is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. I'm going to read this on the screen, and we're going to pray. Here's what it says. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, and he is the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Who here needs sustaining this morning? You need God's strength. Well, Jesus is here to sustain you by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sins, thank you, Lord, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Let's pray, friends. Lord Jesus, There are some of us here today that need you to sustain us with your word. There are some of us here this morning who need you to purify us from our sins. Lord, we all need you this morning to show us what the Father is exactly like. And Lord Jesus, I praise that we look at you. And when we see you, that that would heal how we see the Father. Because you are the exact representation of God the Father. Lord, we thank you that there's a father-son resemblance between you two. By the power of the Holy Spirit, would you connect it not only in our minds, but in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, we prayed and everybody who agreed said, amen. All right, so this morning I want to spend our time talking together about our mistaken identity for today. We're calling it Bad Boss God. Bad Boss God. Well, it should say bad on there. Everyone say with me, Bad Boss God. Not all bosses are bad. I have a good boss. Uh, Pastor Dale is a great boss to me. I kid you not, I think year two when I was here working for Pastor Dale, now he's a great leader. He demands a lot of me, demands excellence from me, and he's a great boss. He's my friend. And Pastor Dale, I kid you not, in my second year here, heard that it had been six weeks since I had taken Leah out on a date because we have little kids and life and yada, yada, yada. And he looked at me and said, it's been six weeks since you've taken your wife on a date? I'm like, why? I'm like, well, I've been working a lot. He's like, you will quit working a lot and you will take your wife on a date tonight or else. When was the last time you had your boss give, reprimand you for not taking your wife on a date and for working too much, right? Isn't that a good boss? That's a great boss. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. I'm, talk, you know, I'm not even talking about bosses like uh, Michael Scott from The Office. Let's put Michael Scott. Look at that. Now, Michael is lovable, but he's ignorant, and he's annoying, and painfully unself-aware, 
right? But everybody in the office would not say Michael was a bad boss. He was just painful. (laughs) The bad bosses I'm talking about are otherwise known as, bad boss God is otherwise known as evil stepmother God, or tyrant God, or maybe Pharaoh. Here's a bad boss. Make more bricks. Make more bricks without straw or else. This is the type of cruel boss who's never, ever, ever pleased with what you do. This is Headmaster Trunchbull from Matilda. If you are having fun, you are not learning, right? This is Miranda Priestley from The Devil Wears Prada. This is Darth Vader to every stormtrooper. This is bad boss God. This is otherwise known as, a.k.a. Um, mean coach God. Anybody ever have a really mean coach where you could never do anything good enough? I remember I wrestled in high school. My wrestling coach, we won the wrestling meet. I won my match, and we won, I mean, we beat the other high school. We came into the locker room, and he said, everybody get in the showers. And we're like, okay. And so we all got in this room of showers, he didn't turn the lights out. It was totally dark. It made us all sit in there, the whole team. And this big dude, who's a grown man, came in, broke his clipboard, threw it on the wall, and cussed out a bunch of 15-year-olds on the JV wrestling team. What type of, now that I'm a grown-up, like, what type of person does that cusses out a bunch of 15-year-old kids for winning? Right? Who does that? A mean coach and a bad boss god. Right? So, this is what people deal with here with this. Some people have had some great bosses. Some people have had some bad bosses. But a lot of people, if you, well, I th- let me put it this way. Some of us have had good bosses. Almost all of us have had a bad boss. Amen? <laughs> right. Okay. Now, but here's what we know about bad boss God. We can take off Darth Vader off the screen. Thanks, guys. Bad boss God. So, if you project this idea onto God, this is what it looks like. This is the God that's breathing down your neck, who's watching everything you do, who's asking for your productivity report at the end of every day. He wants to know how many minutes you prayed, how many chapters you read, um, especially if you read only in the real Bible, the King James Version, you know, just like Jesus read it in Israel. Come on now. And how much, he wants to know how much money you donated, how many homeless people you fed. He's willing to tell you everything you're doing wrong and that you will never be good enough or worthy of his love. If you relate to bad boss God, you probably are constantly seeking his approval. You never ever feel like you're enough. Uh, You feel like God cares more about what you do than who you are. And you think God's probably just waiting for you to make a mistake. This is what bad boss God is like. It's our own sense of anxiety and fear and condemnation and unworthiness. And we think he's pouring down on us. And it's never good enough. Now in this series, we're talking about every single week a problematic idea behind these images. The disclaimer of like what we're not saying, because these are all based on half-truths. We're not saying some things. We want to tell you the truth. We want to give you a challenge every week. So here's the problematic idea for this week. Here's the problematic idea with bad boss God. It says, I have to work to prove myself to God. This is the idea behind it. I have to work to prove myself to God. Now, a lot of people feel like they have to prove a lot of different things to God. Some people feel like they have to prove that they're worth loving. 
Some people have to prove that they're worth forgiving. Some people have to prove that they're worth having a purpose and a plan for their life. Some people have to prove that it's worth being kind to them even in the first place. What do you feel like you have to prove to God sometimes? What about you? What do you have to prove? Um, oftentimes with this, I, I, I talk about, that especially with difficult subjects like this, um, it makes me think of coins. It makes me think of a quarter. Now, um, I love quarters. Uh, a couple weeks ago, um, I had a little bit of a dilemma on my hands. I went to Aldi. Anybody here shop at Aldi? Right? Like, the reason we're cheering is because when my wife started shopping at Aldi, our grocery bill dropped by 40%. Fact. Fact. So, hooray for saving money. Right? So, Aldi helps people save money by all sorts of ways. And one of the ways that they do is they don't pay anybody to come bring the, the grocery carts back. What you do is you have to take a quarter, and you have to put it in the grocery cart, and it locks your grocery cart to go and do stuff, but you don't get your quarter back unless you take your cart back and lock it up. So it's like these innovative ways that they use to help save money so it lowers your bill. Well, I was having a bad morning. I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. It was Friday. It's supposed to be my day off. I woke up cranky and crabby and not in a good mood. It was just bad. I went to Aldi. I forgot my bags. They don't have bags. You have to pay for the bags. That's another way that they save money. So I forgot my bags. Oh, dang it. Stupid. Oh. And then I realized I forgot my quarter too. It was the worst. Anybody here go to Aldi and realize you forget your quarter? The worst. Yes, you know. I'm with you. Yeah, man. The worst. And so I was having such a bad day until I ran into... Does anybody know Packy from CHS Espanol? Yeah. Love Packy. And so I'm like, what in the world? God, it's the worst day ever. Could it not get any worse? Over a quarter. Okay, I'm really mature on this day. Uh, and then I will see Packy pulling, bring a card up and go lock her. Is that, is that, is that Packy? Packy? Pastor! Packy, I need a quarter. <laughs> Packy got me a quarter. Now, isn't that just great? Now, here's, here's why. I, so thank you, Packy. I owe her a quarter. <laughs> so here's a wonderful thing about quarters is I like them. I like the old quarters better with the wonderful bald eagle on it, not like Oh, it's the main quarter with, I don't even know what the, like, the artwork is. You know, like, the new quarters that they've unveiled. I like the classic ones. This is how I think quarters should look in America, dadgummit. Now, the reason I'm thinking about some of this is you ever heard of the expression, it's two sides of the same coin? Um, it's a, that's an expression where it talks about two different ideas that are actually the same issue. They seem like divergent ideas, but they're actually deeply connected together. Like Eisenhower used to say, peace and justice are two sides of the same coin. We'll see, with this idea of bad boss God, if you struggle with this, you struggle with two different issues that sound different, but they are the same side. Or excuse me, they're the two sides of the same coin. If you struggle with believing God is bad boss God, again, this is no one in here would actually say this about God, but your gut would say it about God. Most people struggle with low self-esteem. Dr. David Siemens used to say that the greatest weapon that Christians face from the devil isn't like this red figure with horns and a pitchfork coming to shoot fire at people, but actually he comes to attack people with low self-esteem. And so if you struggle with bad boss guy, you probably have low self-esteem from feeling a crushing weight of condemnation all the time. 
and low self-worth. And also, you have low self-esteem over here. If you struggle with bad boss God, you're probably a perfectionist too, to some degree. Now, you might think that's weird. Of low self-esteem and perfectionism, friends, it's two sides of the same coin. You ever heard Jeff Foxworthy's, you might be redneck if? Love Jeff Foxworthy. He's the first stand-up comedian I listen to. I love Jeff Foxworthy. Um, so this, this is like you might be redneck if, except it's not funny. It's you might be a perfectionist if. You might be a perfectionist if you struggle with should have, could have, and would have. Um, I had one of my friends who's a Christian counselor say to me, uh, man, you're just shoulding all over yourself, aren't you? You might be a perfectionist if you struggle with self-deprecation that you never feel good enough. You might be a perfectionist if you have a lot of anxiety, like a giant umbrella of guilt and condemnation. You might be a perfectionist if you're legalistic, where you have a growing list of huge do's and don'ts. You might be a perfectionist if all that leads you to become angry, where you are resentful against a character of a God who's never really satisfied with you. And you might be a perfectionist if on top of all of that you have a lot of denial, because If you have bad boss God, it's a sin to be angry at God. But he's angry at you. And so what do you do with that? It gets stuck and frozen in your heart. And so what does all that lead to? If you have a ton of low self-worth, low self-esteem, and a ton of perfectionism together, it breaks people. It breaks people. It causes them to break away and walk away from their faith. Or causes them to have an emotional breakdown. Altogether. It breaks the human soul. And if it doesn't break you, you know what it does? It just keeps you shallow with God. Because the thing that's the saddest to me about bad boss God is it keeps people ankle deep in their relationship with God because they only relate to Him on what they do. And there is no love. There's no friendship. There's no intimacy. If people believe God is bad boss God and they just act like his servant all the time and his underappreciated employee, those people never hear the voice of Jesus whisper beautiful things to them. And they miss out. So, disclaimer, what I'm not saying this morning, what I'm not saying is that God doesn't expect us to work. I'm not saying that. Um, Clearly, we see from all sorts of different scriptures. If you're on the sermon notes on the app, you can see there from James chapter 2 and from many other scriptures, the good works naturally should flow from our faith. Like, scripture is very clear that we're not saved by good works, but your faith is proven genuine by your good works. Like, because God is working in me, I can work too. Like, isn't the world dying for Christians who just don't talk the talk but walk the walk? You know what I mean? Who love the poor and the marginalized and the outcasts who are the defenders of widows and orphans. Right? Everybody wants that. Amen? Okay, um, me and Gloria. Cool. So we're not saying God doesn't expect us to work. This isn't about that. It's your motivation behind why you do what you do. Are you doing something because God loves you? Or are you doing something to prove that God should love you? See the difference there? 
Are you doing something to prove something to God? Or are you doing something because of something you already know that's true about him? So what's the truth? What's the truth? What's the cure for the perfectionist heart? What's the cure to make bad boss God dissolve? Well, it's found in Ephesians chapter 2. Watch this with me. Ephesians 2 verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, ne- we were by nature deserving of wrath. We talked about that last week. But because of his great love for us. What type of love? Great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm going to freewheel here just for the last couple minutes and get off my notes so we can still finish on time. Can I do that? Okay. This passage is the quintessential passage on grace. Grace, some theologians talk about, it's, it's the unmerited favor of God. Let me boil it down for normal people talk. Grace is the unearned love of God towards you. It's not a thing. It's who God is. Because of the grace of Jesus, that will dissolve bad boss God in your mind and your heart. Jesus is the exact representation of God. And so when we look at Jesus, you will never find bad boss God, but you will find grace. And here's what we can learn. Because of the grace of Jesus, you have nothing to prove to God. You have nothing to prove to him anymore. I was at a martial arts testing yesterday uh, supporting a friend of mine, and he was evaluated for an hour and a half on how good he did or not. And a lot of people treat God that way. Well, what the scripture says here is that it was not by works, not by anything you've done, but because of the grace of Jesus alone, which is unearned and free, God has offered salvation to all people, forgiveness of sins to all people, purpose and healing to all people who would just say, yes, by faith, it's free. You ever heard the distinction between mercy and grace? Mercy is not getting something you do deserve. It's not getting something you do deserve. But grace is getting something you don't deserve. Theologian Thomas Oden said this. He said that there is no way to buy or deserve God's love or acceptance. 
You are already being offered, offered God's love on the cross without passing any tests. The word of the cross is not, I will love you if you jump through the hoop. But it's this, while we were yet helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. There's no hoops to jump through, nothing to prove. God loves you because it's free. Because of the grace of Jesus, not only that, but I'm worthy of God's love. Because of the grace of Jesus, I am worthy of God's love. Ephesians 2.10 says this. It says, for we are God's handiwork. You know what that word in Greek is? Poema. Poem. Think about that. That you are God's handiwork, that you are God's poema. And the New Living Translation, it says God's masterpiece. How amazing is that? That God considers you a work of art, right? Now I know like there's probably some Daryl here in the church like, I'm no poem. Well, you are the beautifully crafted table God has built. Thank you, Jesus. You know. So look here, it says we are God's handiwork. If you believe God is bad boss God, who's doing all the work to prove something? We are doing all the work to prove something to God. But according to this, who's the one doing all the work? We are God's handiwork. He's the one doing work in you. In you. Because of the free grace of Jesus, you are worthy of the love of God. And lastly, check this out. Because of the grace of Jesus, we're not God's employees. We're a child of God. Now, just for time's sake, I'm going to skip one thing. And it's clearly in Scripture that God seats us at a table with Christ that makes us brothers and sisters with Him. It's all there in the passage, but just for time's sake, I'm going to land here. Do you know what healed my heart of not being able to sing about the mercy and goodness of God? What healed my heart was being able to look at Jesus, like figuratively look at Him, but also I would literally use my mind's eye when I would read scriptures about him and I would picture him before me and I would try to imagine what he would look like. Uh, I've been preaching this week with Jessica Stafford, who's our director of family ministries, our executive director of family ministries. And Jessica had this interesting idea of, she read somewhere the challenge her as a parent, like as a parent or maybe a grandparent in the room, pay attention to your face when your kids walk in. Do you smile at them? Do you show that you're joyful that they're there? Or do you even look up from your phone or even look away from the TV to pay attention to how your face looks? Because it tells your children something about you. I'm convinced many people think the face of God is scowled at them saying they're not good enough, like a bad boss. But grace is the face that Jesus makes when he looks at you. Look at this from Zephaniah. And he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. With singing. What does God's face look like when he looks at you? He looks at you with the face of Jesus and sings over you. Look at this here in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, he made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. 
So if you're somebody who struggles with condemnation, with shame, with never feeling good enough, here's what the challenge I'm going to give you. We're going to sing a song here in just a moment called Jesus, We Love You. And I want you to picture the kind, graceful face of Jesus. And look into his eyes. And let him just sing over you with his kindness. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Lord, would you dispel bad boss God from our hearts this morning? Would you dispel condemnation? Would you cast out all fear with your perfect love? And Jesus, I pray that as we sing to you in these few moments, and maybe some of us need to come down to the altar and pray. Maybe we just need to stay in our seats, whatever it looks like. Give us grace to picture your kind eyes. And Lord, would that heal our hearts? It's in your name we pray. Lord said. So guys, I want to give you an invitation. If any of you here needs prayer for this issue, we have friends back here at the prayer room who are some of the kindest, most loving, friendliest listeners and prayer warriors I know. If you struggle with a God who you feel like is a bad boss, always not pleased with you, that's not Jesus. Go get some prayer. They would love to help introduce you to him and pray for healing in your heart. Um, But with that, I'm going to change how I usually do the end of service here. And I'm going to pray the high priestly prayer from number six over us. If looking at Jesus' eyes and looking at his face is what heals us from bad boss God, then prepare your hearts to receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Friends, go in God's peace. We'll see you next week.